There are many dangerous chemicals out there, substances with a sudden and apparent lethality. However, the slow silent killers can often prove the most insidious. Substances that seem useful at first, almost too good to be true. This was the promise of the wonder material known as asbestos. Strong, flexible, abundant, and able to withstand temperatures of over 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, asbestos promised so many useful applications for our modern world. Asbestos comes into the home in the shape of fireproof curtains and covers, and in a variety of patterns. They're one answer to the problem of the careless smoker. Vinyl asbestos with the beauty and texture of a handcrafted swirl chip design. This contemporary home shows how modern asbestos materials can be adapted to any style or design. No doubt you've heard of asbestos, and presently, in hindsight, we find the name synonymous with poison, carcinogen, respiratory illness. This unfortunately wasn't always the case, as corporate and government interests fought to keep the truth of this dangerous substance hidden. Okay, so my name is Kathleen Ruff. I've been involved in issues of social justice and health for many years. I have held positions inside government and outside government on human rights protections. I've retired, um, but I've still continued to have a, a real commitment to human rights. And I got involved in fighting the asbestos issue because Canada was uh, the leading country in the world that was promoting and selling asbestos. A key part in the success of the asbestos industry in being able to, to sell asbestos for so long, although the scientific evidence was clear that it should stop, that there's no safe way of using asbestos. But what they did is they, just like the tobacco industry, they used the same tactic. Roughly a two-hour drive east of Montreal, there lies, buried in the ground, a geological oddity. You see, other asbestos deposits worldwide are spread out in thin veins, running down into the ground in a lightning bolt shape. In Quebec's Jeffrey mine, however, the asbestos is concentrated and distributed in a cyclone cone-like shape, making the substance much easier to mine from an open pit. The benefits of these strong, fireproof, cotton-like fibers have been known since antiquity. So in the late 19th century, W.H. Jeffrey knew he had something valuable when he funded the Jeffrey Asbestos Mine in Quebec. Shortly after, Canada found herself embroiled in World War I, and there was an urgent need for the heat and chemical resistant and strengthening properties of asbestos. So the mine expanded to meet the growing demand and a bustling town expanded with it to support the miners and their families. In celebration of the rich deposits of this new wonder material, they named their town Asbestos Quebec. After the war, the Johns Manville Corporation purchased the mine and quickly became the global leader in the manufacture of asbestos-containing products. By the 1950s, companies like Johns Manville and Raybestos Manhattan were quickly finding new, inventive applications for asbestos. It seemed like a miraculous solution for any problem that required heat resistance, strength, or durability. And to the customer, asbestos promised an easy, worry-free, Jetsons-like future. 
The world's largest asbestos mine is the Jeffrey Mine at Asbestos, Quebec, so named for nature's magic mineral. Most deposits have a 10 to 25 year life, but this one has been yielding for more than half a century. And even under the pressure of growing demands, it is expected to produce for another 100 years. What do you do with the fiber when you get it? How does it contribute to better living? How does it enhance our daily lives? Of course, that was the glossy marketing veneer on the asbestos industry. However, on the mining and manufacturing side, doctors, workhouse inspectors, and scientists had been linking fatal respiratory illness to asbestos dust since 1906. And more employees in the asbestos industry meant more evidence this wonder material had a dark secret. They purposefully conflated risks and dangers in asbestos manufacturing with other dust-prone industries. When autopsy results could clearly show the lungs of deceased asbestos workers congested with asbestos fiber, they invested in ventilation and declared the issue solved. Twelve stories tall, this is the world's largest asbestos mill, equipped with the most modern refining machinery. Remarkably dust-free. I'm Heidi Von Polask. My father, Wolfgang, worked at Johns Manville in Scarborough, Ontario. He worked there from the time that the factory opened until they closed the doors. They, they were led to believe that chrysotile was a, a, a safe substance to, to work with. Johns Manville thought of themselves as a family-oriented uh, company. And so they used to throw big Christmas parties and they would have a Santa Claus and everything and they would invite all of the workers' children. And I remember as a child going there, being very excited that we were going to see Santa. But when we got to see where our fathers worked, I remember looking and thinking that it was like fairies dancing in the light. You could see the asbestos in the air. My father lived a very... um organic life. He never smoked. He ran, he swam, he skied. We ate out of our garden. So he he did live longer than most of the other workers at Johns Manville. But year after year, we watched as his co-workers got sick and, and died. And um, my dad had a, a series of heart failures and heart problems and uh, hardening of the arteries. And they couldn't quite understand you know, what might be in his veins and causing this problem. But uh, he basically had asbestos all through his body. Uh, so when he got sick, none of us were really that surprised because everyone else who worked at John's Manville were pretty much all dead. It didn't make it any easier. And to watch someone die of asbestos is is horrific. Imagine, imagine a 300-pound man kneeling on your chest and... He has a pillow, and that pillow comes closer and closer to your face. And your breathing becomes less and less and less. That's what it is to die of lung cancer that's associated with, with asbestos. And when, when my dad's final CAT scans for his lungs came back, they said that it looked as though his lungs were entirely filled with cut glass. They even found asbestos around his heart. While the 1978 public-facing Johns Manville annual report stated, Asbestos fiber poses no hazard to users or the public. Good work practices and dust control programs have reduced the health concerns associated with the manufacture and use of products containing asbestos fiber. 
At the same time, the exposed Sumner Simpson papers show us communications behind closed doors were very different. Simpson, who was the president of Ray Bestis Manhattan through the 30s and 40s, told the upper management at John's Manville, The less said about asbestos, the better off we are. After a joint study on the lungs of asbestos workers, secretly autopsied, they wrote, There would be no publication of the research of experiments without the group's consent, and that any publication would not include any objectionable material, as, for example, any relation between asbestos and cancer. Yet despite their efforts, the risks were an open secret among the workers. In a 1966 document by E.A. Martin, director of purchases for Bendex Corporation, he wrote, My answer to the problem is, if you have enjoyed a good life while working with asbestos products, why not die from it? There's got to be some cause. Such a remark is clearly callous and sickening. Yep. Perhaps some of the workers, despite being lied to by their bosses, knew and accepted the risks to provide a good life for their families? Perhaps. Yet how many anticipated that they were bringing that risk home with them every evening? So four years later, my mom started to get sick, and she was diagnosed with mesothelioma. Mesothelioma is a lung cancer that is associated only with asbestos. So she had what's called paraoccupational exposure. It means that you're not working with the asbestos, but you are exposed to the asbestos kind of secondhand. So my mom basically got sick from washing my, uh, my dad's clothes. My mother was given four months to live, and that's almost exactly the amount of time that she lived. It was my daughter at the time. She was um, 11 years old who said the words that I didn't want to hear, and that was, Mommy, if, if Grandma Doty has cancer because of the asbestos Opa brought home in his clothes, then how come you don't have it? And that um, actually haunted me. And so at a time when I should have just been worried and thinking about my mother and how she was going to die, I became obsessed with what if I die and I leave a child this young, you know, without a mom. My dad used to come home in his overalls and he would pick me up and, uh, you know, and hug me, turn me upside down, play with me, throw me in the air. And, um, you know, my face was very often right in the bib of his overalls and those overalls were covered in asbestos. So I, I went and I, I got a, a CAT scan and I miraculously came back clear. Um, that doesn't mean that at some point they might not find asbestos in my lungs, but uh, so far, you know, touch wood, I'm good. But my older sister, who um, did more indoor tours than I did, has got asbestos in her lungs. They're called pleural plaques, and that's kind of a precursor to asbestosis, which is a precursor to mesothelioma. So my dad thought he was making a living, but, you know, he was actually making a killing for his family. Eventually, with the evidence overwhelming, asbestos use was phased out and discontinued beginning in the early 80s. However, the industry continued on, and the Jeffrey mine was as active as ever, this time shipping asbestos to the developing world. In Canada, they set up what was called the Asbestos Institute, and it was funded by the Canadian government and the Quebec government, 
and the asbestos industry were involved in it in trying to promote and sell asbestos to developing countries. So there was a Canadian organization, lobby group called the Asbestos Institute. And then there also was an international asbestos lobby group that also moved to Canada and to Quebec because it found it to be a very um, supportive environment. And so you had these two lobby groups who were putting out all of this misinformation and it had the government's uh, logo on it that seemed to be good information that people could rely on, but it was not. It was completely false. Eventually, with a more easily mined asbestos exhausted, the Jeffrey mine required a federal loan for further expansion, which was granted. Yet with a provincial election in Quebec, the newly elected Parti Québécois rejected the loan, and production at the Jeffrey mine ceased. Without the asbestos corporate interests, the Canadian government had followed in the steps that other modern democracies had taken long ago and banned the import, production, and export of asbestos from Canada. We leave you tonight in a little town with a lethal name and the chance of a lifetime to change it. Quebec Bureau Chief Geneviève Beauchemin reports from a place formerly known as asbestos. A town where a giant pit still towers over the landscape has now relegated its toxic name to the history books. The people of what was asbestos Quebec cast a ballot last week. A drive through style vote to ensure safety here in the time of the pandemic. I wish we didn't have to change our name. It's our history, says 80-year-old Réal Pépin. But I understand. I worked 25 years in that mine. He adds that everyone in his crew has died. The mine was shut down in 2012, but the name remained. And tonight, the pick. Val des Sources. That name refers to the landscape, its lakes and water but also that this will serve as a source of hope for the future, says the mayor, once again giving this town a good name. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Val-des-Sources, Quebec. <laughs> the story of Canada's asbestos industry is grim. There's very little comfort to be gained from it. Corporate and political greed let the effects of asbestos spread too far, too wide, for too long, and it's still ongoing. Yet despite their best efforts, to extinguish the truth. It lived on. Through objective science, overwhelming evidence, and the communication of men and women who bravely told the truth in spite of opposition, the truth lived on. The legacy of the asbestos industry is far from over. But thankfully, we know the truth. Asbestos is dangerous. Thank you to Heidi Von Plesk and Kathleen Ruff 